We look around our world right now and we find that there are so many people who are uninterested in truth. In fact, we look around our society and we wonder to ourselves, how could we ever be pulled back to a place where we really are loving our friends, our families, our neighbors, and even our enemies in the pursuit of the common good? Well, there's a lot of things which have really rendered our society unable to do that. However, through returning to the gospel of Christ Jesus and belief and understanding the sovereignty of God, we can once again find interest in the common good. And today, we're going to be talking about a survey done by Barna, which looks at millennials. You know, those people that are in my age group, which are known for all of their shortcomings. But there's <laughs> some interesting studies put out there on how millennials respond to different evangelistic tactics and the ones that they are familiar with and even the ones that they like. Now, this is a very meaningful study because it sheds some light on how we can really pierce through the walls in our society to actually bring people back to the common good. And also, there might be a lot more people interested in spirituality than you think. So we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be going to the book of Revelation and having a Bible study that looks at beast worship and comparing that to an image that you get when the seven plagues are wrought by the seven angels there to bring about God's wrath and see to it that it's ended. We find that there is an interesting contrast between worship of the beast and what goes on in the kingdom of God. So we'll be looking at that and even some pop cultural portrayals of the mark of the beast. So we'll be having that as a little bit of satire towards the end of our program. But with all that aside, thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And Pastor Amanda, would you open us up in prayer today? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings. And as we come and gather, we pray that you would make your presence known, that everything that we say and do in this conversation that follows would be for your kingdom and for your glory. So be with us here and be with those who are listening. Uh, be with your church, we pray. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to start off our program today by looking into a study that was done in 2019 by Barna. And now this is one which hasn't gotten a lot of attention or that I'm aware of in, in a lot of the circles that I go, but it shows what millennials are actually receptive to, what methodologies of evangelism they have seen and have witnessed. And it's very important because these millennials that have been surveyed, they're not just Christians, but they are in fact self-proclaimed atheists and agnostics. And by studying this data, we can find out what really are effective ways. What are people interested in? I know when I was growing up, I was told a lot of things like people that they, they hate tradition. You know, you've got to get rid of the traditional stuff. And then you'll also have people come along and say, you don't need to be doing tracks and things of that nature. And while it is certainly true that our methodologies of evangelism have changed and what people are receptive of, one of the things that we find is you might be surprised at what people are receptive to. And even Jesus he wisely gave us the advice when he sends out the 12 he says stay with those who will welcome you and hear your words not those who will have you so often in the church we we think that we have eternal time and we kind of pine for people who are i hate to say this god haters who don't have a genuine interest in welcoming the words of christ and christ tells us and god who is far more committed and far more loving than we could ever imagine to be christ says stay with those who are interested in hearing your words and what we find from this study is the people who have experienced these methodologies of evangelism are interesting in hearing your words and learning. That means these, these are tactics we should look at. So are you all ready to, to have a dive in this? Do you have any upfront thoughts about evangelism with millennials and young people today? <laughs> no, other than, yeah, I think your joke earlier, millennials often get painted in a very bad light. Um, it's just fascinating also, which I think also reveals the, the demographic that of, often paints them in a bad light. So, but uh, no, it'd be fascinating to see uh, something, uh, especially as, you know, you are, you and I are considered part of that age group, maybe how we fit or don't fit into those categories that are prescribed to us. <laughs> yep. Well, let's take a dive right into it. So the first piece of data that I want us to look at are some Responses that millennial non-Christians, so atheists and agnostics, what they have experienced as compared to older non-Christians, atheists and agnostics. Now, keep in mind, this data, it is not everybody's personal story. We don't get all the details that are going on here. But these are encounters that people have had that are substantial enough that it was a, a seed planted. And it's one that they remembered. And it had an impact enough on them that we can say this was a viable seed planted on them. So here we have three pieces of data, um, or three, three particular avenues. One of them is 
people who have experienced a conversation about faith perspectives and beliefs with a close friend or family member. So, you know, that that's important. And this is something which had happened within a year of this survey. And most non-Christian millennials who were surveyed on this, 70% of them said they had. They had had conversations about faith perspectives and beliefs with fans and family. So those close, intimate circles, they had had that with a lot of people. And these are atheists and agnostics, keep in mind. Now, you compare that to older non-Christians, they only had 52% of them, so about half of them. Hmm. So, and then when you, you look at the next category, what we find here is that only 64% of them had conversations with practicing Christians in the last year. And that number was 44% with uh, olders, older people. So what that means is Christians were less likely to talk about spiritual things with non-Christians than non-Christians were to talk with other non-Christians about their stuff. So that's kind of one of the pieces of data you get there, which means there is a significant interest in beliefs and spirituality in our culture. That's what you can extrapolate from these two pieces of data. And with, among young people, there is a very high interest in mm-hmm. spirituality, spirituality and beliefs. Um, the third piece of data we get here is a Christian has tried to share his or her faith with me one or more time in the past year. And again, 67% with millennials and 51% with those who are older. So you get a lot of people who have done this and yeah very very interesting when you look at the different age groups now you look at millennials versus those who are older um 36 percent of them are interested in learning more about christianity and what it can mean for my life now amanda i think you had talked about you had recently kind of had some conversations we talked about this how young people in the modern day and age they're interested in kind of eschatology Mm-hmm. Could you kind of pick up on that for a minute? Yeah, and I think the eschatology is a little bit different than even how we understood it uh, in generations past. And the eschatology is not so much about one day, someday, he- we're going to be transported in our heavenly spaceship uh, to heaven. But how does living in the present reveal our ex- eschatology? How does that connect us to something bigger uh, and uh, maybe stronger and, and tra- more transcendental than our immediate, and yet it impacts our immediate. Yes, and eschatology being kind of end times. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, it, well, eschatology in the sense of not so much end times in the sense of left behind, but yeah, end times and right. what is the ultimate end of my life? What is the meaning? Yeah. What is the grander purpose of life, of, of, of creation? of the universe. And so again, there's this, this reforming of that language where maybe in generations past and uh, eschatology just simply meant left behind or that series and kind of like the rapture and tribulation versus for the younger group, we, we are interested in that eschatology, but in the sense of how that impacts how I live my life uh, today. And, and yep. not that the older generation didn't do that, but just the focus was a, a little different. Sure. Mike had his hand up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, like uh, for me, I think I've uh, experienced uh, interactions with older uh, folks who seem to be uh, more concerned with the there and then versus the here and now. And, of course, I know that's a little bit different from what Pastor Amanda's talking about. But when I say the there and then, it I'm, I'm talking about heaven or hell or something of that nature at the afterlife, whereas the here and now is more or less purpose-driven. Why was I created? Why am I here? And how does that have an effect on eternal life? Uh, but yeah, I think there is some overlap between what I'm saying and what Pastor Amanda says is from what I'm experiencing talking with the different generations. And the uh, the millennials and, and younger generation, they seem to have a very uh, keen interest on the here and now um, as opposed to the there and then. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it is a interest in the here and now that's connected to a bigger picture. And right, kinda, and that, yeah. yeah well, and I find that to be good news. Yeah. To, to see that they're going in that direction. And I think the thing is, it's all, or it's eschatology. It's, it's kind of the same word from the past generations, but its emphasis has slightly shifted where we're asking those, even though we're more concerned with the eminent, the here and now, we still want to be connected to something bigger. And I think that's why we're seeing this revital, uh, rediscovery of spiritualism, of mysticism, yeah. and things like that. Because they want, they said, I need something right now. I need I need purpose in my life. I need, I need, but I also, 
and I need something that transforms me for my day to day, but I also need something that connects me to something bigger. And so I need something, whether it's family or community or um, religion or nationality even, um, or various movements that have happened, I need to be something more than just myself. Yeah. And yet at the same time, that something bigger has to apply to myself. Like yeah, yeah. it's a very interesting um, dynamic that's happening. Yeah, and to your point, you see people, they want to get themselves worked in social movements that have that morality and belief system webbed into it, mm-hmm. kind of woven together in a tapestry of beliefs. And of course, whenever people are outside of God, there is a God-shaped hole. Mm. And, and evil is always happy to fill that God-shaped hole. In fact, the devil quite prefers there to be a God-shaped hole because it's an opening for him to step into. And we see in our modern society right now that there are a lot of kind of pseudo-belief systems that have constructed themselves, they've worked into universities, they've worked into all of really our institutions. But we find that people, they want to be connected to the bigger picture and they want some sort of assurance that what they're doing has meaning. And whether it be in some revolution that wants to go towards utopia, some revolution that kind of wants to remake things, or maybe even trying to just play around with the formula around the world right now, there is this increased interest that says, I don't want to just be a construction worker, Um, which again, one of the great tragic things is in people walking away from things like wanting to be a tradesman, they they think that you can kind of shortcut to that end of deeper Mm -hmm. meaning and they they end up missing it. But, But nonetheless, me not just inserting my opinion, but just looking at the culture around, you find so many people who say, I, I don't want to indulge in these basic things because I want that bigger picture. But that really is just an extension of the God-shaped hole where people don't know how to find that meaning. And you look at this data and it says that there is an opening for the church to step in here, but we've got to be willing to do it. Mm. Any other thoughts before we continue on? Yeah, you know, I'd just like to say a lot of the conversations that I've had, you know, I think a lot of times they're looking for deep conversation and I'm talking about the the younger millennial uh, non-Christians who are looking, and I think they have heard and seen and experienced, um, you know, the false um, teaching that once you become a Christian, everything is is just hunky dory. And then they look around and say, you know, the world is still suffering, and why could a God uh, allow that? So their their hesitation, they're looking for something, but they're also realizing that. Uh, this this teaching is not the right answer, but they're still open to seeing a real um, deep theology, uh, and we have to be prepared to answer those questions and have that conversation. Yeah, and anytime we try to synchronize Christianity with the worldly popular beliefs, and a lot of times people think that that's necessary, like you can't get people in unless you solve the riddle of whatever the modern social problem is. You know, we've got to confront that because that's what young people are talking about. One of the things that I think we're going to find out And this is from my only experience as a pastor who is a millennial. Therefore, the people I grew up with, they're also my age. Um, The people that are interested in receiving and hearing the words, they, they are much more interested in the tradition, the truth of Christianity, than you trying to come and synchronize with them. Now, consciously, they might think that they like the synchronism more. But what my experience is, is that in the long run, people respect the the lines drawn and the clear biblical truths being displayed. Again, that, that's not just someone else's nostalgia or trying mm-hmm. to take the different eras of the church and say, well, this nostalgia is the way. But the true tenets of Christianity, you know, the, the principles which are outlined of Christian worship, which you can find in the Didache, you know, the reading of the word, these sort of, of things which we have had throughout our traditions and even going back into Judaism, when you hold the line. And this is kind of like Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah, he draws the line and says, you can't accidentally come into the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God is going to be unique, you've got to draw the line on the covenant. We as the church, when we draw the line and say, we're not here just to serve the motivations of the world or solve their riddles. We're here to preach the holy gospel of Christ Jesus, which is liberating. And you will find out that it will ultimately start working in the world to resolve these things as it pulls people back towards God. Mm. So y'all ready to get in some more data? Mm All righty. So more data. All right, so these are evangelistic methods that people have experienced and they have reported experiencing, and you can extrapolate from this. Again, these are not their full life stories here. It's just data points. So take all that with a grain of salt. But what this means are these are substantially useful seeds which people have experienced. So that that is noteworthy. Um, So here, 45% of millennials um, who are not Christian, so atheists and agnostics, have experienced tracks. Hmm. And that's been a significant enough thing in their life that they're reporting it. So... I want us to think about that. Can you imagine 
which again, I've been in the church principally my whole life. Um, this is something which is just almost phenomenal for me to see. What are your thoughts on this, Amanda? Yeah, this one, I, I would really like to know what they mean by tracks because there there is a, a kind of a huge uh, umbrella that tracks can fall under. Um, was it kind of like those little booklets that share maybe a narrative or a story? Could have been like a pamphlet, like the Roman road or the Romans road or whatever that's called. Or was it even like a business card that just had a Bible verse on it or, or a piece of paper that just maybe had a Bible verse or two on it or just like an encouraging word? Um, what? But I think it does reveal to us something uh, that some that simple, something that simple could be that powerful. Yeah. Um, and also, like you said, these are data points. We don't know the situation of who it was that extended. Was it something they just found randomly on a table? Or um, I know of one person who their whole ministry was to leave tracks and bathrooms on the back of the toilet in public places. I don't, I don't know about that. Um, I don't know enough of that story to extrapolate any kind of judgment. But um, um, you know, was it something randomly found, or was it something given to I them? I do not touch things on the back of the. Toilet I know that's why I was just like, yeah. this is a weird ministry. Not. But that was that was <laughs> like they felt called to that. That was the the beginning and end of their ministry. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure they did other stuff, but still. But anyway, so was it randomly found? Was it something given to them by a friend sure. or someone they knew? I, sure. We don't know, but it is fascinating. That is something that has not been very popular in recent years. Uh, probably, I would even say probably several decades, um, if not longer. And yet there is seems to be a positive, inter- a newly yeah. found positive interaction with it, a and, response. And I think we should, this is something I actually think we should look into. And those of, uh, those of you out there watching us, um, send us your thoughts, questions, comments. I think we should actually look back into developing some new tracks. And when you, you look at the principle of attracting, I know Amanda asked the question, you know, what is its format? And We generally think of them in some sort of paper-based format, which, again, it's a tract, so of course it is. (laughs) But maybe we could expand that to also some small, I don't mean like gimmicky trinkets, but like meaningful trinket things in the sense of like prayer beads, um, even rosaries, which I know people accuse me of wanting to to go the Catholic route. (laughs) But there's there's great beauty in the tradition. Um, I think there would be something like that that could be coupled with a card or something that welcomes people into the church where there could be a further down the road discipleship, but something that puts something in people's hands that has some meaning to it, but also is is so profound in its nature that it includes some sort of truth on there, too. So it's Mm -hmm. not just, you know, something that's just gimmicky throw away. You know, it's not a platitude, but something that has those harsh truths that draw the line says here is here's God and here's. Something to remind you. And I think that's maybe why some of them went out of, or some of the, these methodologies went out of style is because they were gimmicky. They were disconnected from the larger church universal. They were kind of like, like, because I've handed you this piece of paper, that is the beginning and end of all that I have to do as a Christian. Um, and so what we're seeing, though, is people want a bigger picture to be a part of. Yeah. But these little things can be that entrance or that starting point into something bigger sure. um and and so it's just fascinating like i remember they used to have a that were really popular for a while when i was maybe in middle school or high school there was like a bracelet or something that had little symbols on it that kind of told the story oh was it like the up down yeah symbols? okay that was a really like even more reductionist version of it um like yeah the four symbols but this had like a little bit more and, and honestly, though, it was this kind of revamping of something like a prayer bead or the rosary, but they were over, they oversimplified it so much. Again, it, it disconnected it from the larger yeah. story. But I was going to say, I think it would be cool if we made something that was, um, like you say the Apostles' Creed is part of the rosary, but something that maybe uniquely helped us remember the parts of the Apostles' Creed. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Because I do think that's something, like obviously if someone's like, hey, tell me about your faith, you can't just stare at them and recite the Apostles' Creed and then again think that your job is done. Yeah. But it does give us some really great footholds when we explain what do we believe as Christians. And the Apostles' Creed is uh, general enough that regardless of your denomination uh, within Christendom, if you are a Christian, you believe the Apostles' Creed. And so. it is specific enough that it clearly identifies yes. the hard truths of Christianity. It's one of those things where it's general enough that it is able to span across the church universal, but it is specific enough to point you to the truth of, of God. All right, well, let's get back into these data points. So tracks actually rated the highest hmm. on this, which, again, when you see this list, so 45% of millennials, they had those seeds planted with tracks. Um, these are atheist agnostic millennials, so people who don't have that 
relationship with God where they they understand him as their their Lord and Savior. Um, 35% person at church, um, 30% casual one-on-one conversation, person on the street, 30% concert venue, 27%, casual group conversation, 26%, video slash movie, 19%, and then none of these is 18%, which what I find surprising about this is this list is basically totally backwards of what <laughs> I was told when I was going through ministerial school. And and from my own personal experience, anecdotal experience, I learned in the first years of pastoring and even being like a senior pastor out here that a lot of the things that I were told were like effective with young people, they kind of come from this mentality that was desperate to, to get people in the church who kind of despise the church as opposed to those who we're actually open and receiving. And, and again, Jesus, he gave us wisdom on that saying, you know, stay with those who welcome, receive you. Those who were receptive to this stuff were actually interested in being loyal to the church. And that's something which I find to be so phenomenal about this. And anecdotally, I can definitely see that this rings true, but it's fascinating to see the data on it. Master Mike, what do you think about this list and how it uh, comes down where movies and concert venues and even those casual group conversations, they seem to have less of an impact even then seeing somebody in the church setting, talking to somebody in a church, um, but also even some of the handing out on, of tracts and things of that nature. What, what do you think about this data? Well, I, you know, of, of course, there's there's two sides of everything, every conversation. And so for me, I see, you know, the, the, the those who are being evangelized, who are basically what the study's on. But then there's this whole side of the, the, uh, uh, the the Christian people, the body of Christ, who is reaching out to them, and I think there's such a difference in culture and understanding one another sometimes that we we find that it's uncomfortable for some of us to give out tracks, and because we've been told, you know, this is old school, don't go that route, and so we kind of feel like there's some type of uncomfortableness there, which it seems that they are more than welcome to receive those, and then of course. Uh, I think there is an element here where we've got to not only get out of our comfort zone to find um, ways and, and and to minister and share the good news, but it's going to take time and energy on our part um, to reach people. But the good news that I see in all this is there is some type of, uh, you know, they're not completely closed off. No, uh, I no. recently talked to a, a young lady who was, a, I think, a senior in high school. And uh, when I come, I asked her, I said, now, are you a Christian? She said, no, I, I'm more of an agnostic. I, you know, I don't know that I believe anything, really. And um, for Christians my age, we almost feel like that's a confrontational mm. um, statement. But it wasn't. It was more of a tell me more. Mm-hmm. I don't believe. And so... Mm. Uh, you know, I think we just have to realize that uh, just because people grew up in the church and, and had, you know, went to VBSs and things like that, there there is still a desire to understand deeper. And their honesty, I think, really sometimes uh, scares some of us Christians. We just think everything should be easy in that. It's not. Mm-hmm. You have to invest in the person to, to share it with them. And just to kind of give a little bit of a flip contrast to what you're saying, Dad, I think we are worried that it's it's not going to be easy. But at the same time, I think we might be surprised with how easy things might be <laughs> yeah. if you're willing to take that risk. In other words, you look at sort of tracks and the things that are effective in this. They're a little bit crude in their social interaction mm-hmm. in the sense that it's not so finely tuned where the small talk and conversation is so precise where you can come up to someone and you say, oh, you've got your you know Florida Gator shirt on and let me talk to you about how much I – love Alabama, and I think you're all trash or something like that. I don't know. But it, it doesn't have that precision that you might have with somebody mm. that you know well. Um, but it does have just some, hey, here's the truth here. And, and unashamedly saying, here's the truth. It's a little bit crude, which often does feel uncomfortable, and you feel uncertain about that, and people are kind of a, have a natural aversion to uncertainty. Mm-hmm. But we might find some – it might be more effective – than we might think, even though it may not seem so easy on the front. I'll let you respond to that. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're right. But I think for, for many uh, Christians, they're, they're much more comfortable talking about, say, the Florida Gators or whatever you know is on the shirt or whatever you're talking about. They're more uh, inclined and more relaxed talking about things. But when it comes to the matters of spirituality, there seems to be a reservation uh, among what I could 
consider Christians to evangelize, and we've got to get back to that yeah. place. And so when I say it, it, it may be hard, I think it, you have to make that move and commitment to sure. say, I'm sure. going to talk about spirituality, and I need, I need to be articulate in that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think uh, we've been so reserved in that for so long that, right. yeah. that as a whole, the church is not having those conversations that are apparently welcomed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, we'll go ahead in a minute. Well, I was going to say, I think that's the, the point of some of the study is to say that, that people are more... Now, again, people are not receptive to being whacked over the head with what you believe, uh, although Facebook sometimes would argue the opposite um, or allows for the opposite. But um, I think there is a hungering, like you said, with the, the encounter with the young lady who, who's her admission of being agnostic was just simply also an invitation to say, now help me understand. And I think that's the other thing. The church has got to get a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable in the sense of um, also allowing our people to ask questions. That asking questions, even having doubt, is not an absence of faith. Yeah. And so we have to see these things more as invitations than as confrontations. Yeah, and, you know, in part, we have been trained that God is not in welcome in the public sphere in modern America. I mean, that's just how our society has gone astray. And on top of that is we have a society where a extraordinarily um, dislocated emphasis has been placed on how people self-identify on stuff. And so someone, it, that's just how young people talk. Like, I'm an atheist agnostic. Like, we live in a day and age where, where people want to brand themselves in these ways. And that's not how older generations have thought. And that's not even how people have thought across the course of human history. When you you look at how people have interacted, this sort of emphasis on identity and particularly your self-selected identity that you've kind of carved out your niche, that's almost become a hobby in the modern day and age where in the past that would definitely not have been the case. So as the, the church, we've got to be a little bit more bold in just declaring the truth of God in the public sphere, even if it does feel uncomfortable, if it feels crude and rigid which, again, I'm a little bit more meticulous personally in how I like things to be. I don't necessarily like the, the crude um, throwing around of, of language, but sometimes our social interactions may be crude, but our conviction in the Lord Christ Jesus needs to be pretty, pretty serious and pretty um, clear as well, be able mm-hmm. to just articulate that. All right, so one final data piece as we wrap up this, and then we'll get into some Bible studies and something a little bit um, more interesting as far as the mark of the beast goes in Revelation towards the end. But let's get to this. What would people who are atheist and agnostic prefer? And they have three criteria here, one-on-one with a Christian, as anonymous listener in a service. So in other words, a Christian event or service, you're just there. You're not really participating as far as a dialogue, but you're there as an anonymous listener or in a small group. I would have expected people's interest in a small group to be the most interest that they had based yeah. on what is taught to us mm-hmm. by whether it be in the academy or whatever. Yeah, but actually this was the least interested <laughs> that was among for young people, millennials. And for for older people, though, in middle age to, to older folks that are older than millennials, they were more interested in the small group setting. But with millennials, they were not. They didn't really care for that. Um, then it's an anonymous listener. That was the middle tier for, for both groups kind of. Um, it was actually this, the older crowd was a little bit more on par with in a small group or as an anonymous listener somewhere. But it was actually the one-on-one sitting with someone as a Christian that was the most interesting for those who are atheist millennials. So the young people, they were interested in that one-on-one evangelism. So that's an interesting data point. Mm-hmm. And I'll let y'all kind of round out this conversation with your final thoughts. Yeah, and I think the one-on-one doesn't surprise me too much because I I do think there has been an emphasis on that uh, probably within the last decade or even more. But I think it's what I think this is saying, though, is that one-on-one is a little bit more structured and a little bit more intentional than some of the one-on-one that has been explained to us in the past. Uh, And it's not just simply one-on-one in the sense of uh, let's just talk about whatever, although talking about whatever may be a part of the problem. But this one-on-one is actually a one-on-one of discussing yeah. faith or spirituality. And, and so there, there's there's something uh, very intentional, very almost explicit about these one-on-one interactions um, that does seem to fly in the face of some of these other interactions 
uh, than we've talked about maybe in the past as a motive of evangelism. Sure. And um, and young people don't interact with one another when it's one as well as older generations. Well, they don't they don't have those social skills for that. So there's definitely a hole in people's heart to be able to do that. And I think this plays into it a bit. Yeah, and I think we've um because we've talked about in the past, like the disappearing third places, yeah. there's not been a means to do it. Sure. And internet, though, although it tries to sell itself as another third place, and in, in some times and places it can be a good third place uh, for interaction, but it doesn't necessarily ultimately replace those one-on-one human yeah. interactions. And so uh, it's a little bit more difficult. And I think how those one-on-one interactions, again, are going to look differently depending on the group and the demographic and, and kind of the culture and situation that's happening. But um, I think people desire, like we've been saying, real answers, real conversations, um, real truths to something that is bigger than ourselves. And we don't have to so much, like Pastor Mike was saying, we don't have to be afraid of sidestepping it. Again, like, I don't think we need to run up to people and be like, have you heard of the Lord, our Lord Jesus, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Like, I don't know if that's really what this is. This data is not saying that. What this data is saying, though, is as we meet with people and talk with people and questions are asked, we're going to find ourselves being asked harder questions and wanting sincere answers even more than maybe we expected. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think as I look back to the ministry of Christ Jesus, Obviously, with the disciples, there were small groups. There were, um, you know, larger gatherings, uh, corporate gatherings, I guess you could say. Um, And then there is the one-on-one. And most every story that we have that is recorded, it is that one-on-one, you know, ministry that Jesus has that leaves people so transformed. And so, uh, you know, I'm as I hear this, I'm really not that shocked, but I, I think, you know, the one-on-one is is a hungering for Christ. Um, and so as we are the body of Christ, uh, obviously we, we need to to present Christ to people in that one-on-one. And I, I think we see transformation happening. Yep. So we'll be back to have a Bible study on the book of Revelation. We're going to have fun with that. So thank you for spending time with us. We'll be back here in a moment. All right, and coming back, we thank you for spending time with us here at Kingdom of the Lost, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And weird sounds coming through the sound system, always a lot of fun. Um, That being said, if you'd like to help us out with our equipment and expenses around here, you can donate at patreon.com slash kingdom of the Lagos. But again, this is a, a free program out there to be supplemental to your Christian life. And with that being said, let's jump into our Bible study. We are going to be talking about the book of Revelation and my, my, aren't we going to have some fun? So let me just jump into this and I'm going to give a little bit of an overview and then I'll let Pastor Amanda and Pastor Mike respond. So one of the things that we know is that God's kingdom, it is profoundly distinct from that terrible place ruled by the beast. And yes, I am talking about those beasts there in Revelation. You look in Revelation chapter 13, there's the first beast, there's the second beast. They have authority given to them by the dragon who is the great deceiver himself. And one of the things that we learn about these beasts and the worship of the beast is that the beast, these terrible, fiendish things, the beast needs people to worship it in order to sustain its power. You know, as opposed to God, who is almighty and all-powerful because he is, this is not the case with the beast. The beast, it can only take life, and in order for it to gain power, it needs people to worship it. And it must reduce people down to their lowest form of existence, and it can only take life. And like all forms of idolatry, it makes people dumb, and it makes people insane. Um, And We do find within those few chapters of Revelation, going from 13 to 15, we find a huge contrast between the kingdom ruled by the beast and its terrible, terrible period of time that it has with the true and eternal kingdom of God. In contrast to the beast, we find God, who is almighty because he is. He gives value to people who serve him. Those who are killed by the beast, they are not given a participation trophy where they smile on the sidelines in heaven as God's work unfolds. You know, they're not just there to fawn over the beast um, like you find in the beast town. Those who are servants of God, they're given meaningful work, meaningful life in the kingdom of God. People always wonder, what happens to you when you die? Revelation 15 actually gives us a little bit of insight into that. And what we find is that those who were killed by the beast, those who were were destroyed in the name of Christ Jesus, they are actually given very meaningful life and they are contributing to the inner workings of heaven. 
These righteous ones there standing firmly by a sea of mingled glass and fire providing the soundtrack of God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, it is a land of life, meaning, freedom, and opportunity. However, the beast's kingdom offers two choices, kill yourself or be killed. In that terrible land of beast worship, one can either permanently corrupt their soul by surrendering to the beast, or they can be brutally destroyed, just as Nebuchadnezzar threatened against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But also, as in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God will take care of those who serve him. And even though they may be conquered and killed by the beast, they are found next to that mysterious sea of glass and fire. So I want us to read these two scriptures, and then I'm going to throw out some propositions for our other pastors to answer. So starting first with Almighty God and what we find of his kingdom in Revelation chapter 15, we read in verse 2 and 3, you know, these portent has been opened up. A great and amazing portent has been opened up. Angels, they are coming through. They have these seven plagues and God's wrath is going to come to an end. And what we find is what John tells us. He says, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been conquered by the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. We read through this and we're reminded that we really need a, a better class of, you know, worship heretics, because what we find in this is that a song of Moses, a song of a mortal, a mere man, is worthy enough to be meaningful in God's kingdom? You know, songwriters today, they should really aspire that their <laughs> songs would be included in the book of Revelation. It's a bit of a joke. Don't take me too seriously on that. But nonetheless, there is beauty in the fact that those who were killed in the name of Christ, they're not just standing on the sidelines in heaven. They've not been just mildly reanimated enough that they're they're like a charred corpse, burned up by the beast, but God's using them like a puppet to dance for him. They are doing the delicate and meaningful work of playing harp music next to the sea. They are, are, are providing the soundtrack. As these angels, they 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 really they come down on the earth with their their plagues, and what we find happening here is something so beautiful that in God's kingdom you have opportunity, meaning you can find life beyond anything you could ever imagine, and it's so different from the beast. That being said, let's go to Revelation 13 and learn a little bit about this beast. Regarding the first beast in Revelation 13:5, it says the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. For it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also allowed to make war against the saints of God and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all the inhabitants of the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name had not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slaughtered. And so what you find from this, and this, this is very disturbing to me, this paints a picture that during the time of the beast, there is no antidote to its worship. In other words, this blasphemy, which is the declaration that absolute good is evil, and evil is absolutely good, you know, to, to curse the name of God, to curse the Holy Spirit, to, to curse the heavens and all the, the goodness and truth of God, there is no evidence that anybody repents from that. And for those who were saved, they whose name was found in the Lamb's Book of Life, they they were slaughtered, but they were not eternally slaughtered. You, you find an interesting thing here. The Lamb that was slaughtered, his blood, it covered them, and they find salvation. Then going a few other verses down in Revelation 13, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could even speak and cause those who could not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, here in verses 15 to 17, this is a second beast which has appeared, and it has an image, and it's imitating God. It's got its beast, it's breathed life into it, and it's like Nebuchadnezzar. If you won't worship me, into the fire you go. And in verse 16, and it causes the both the great and small, the rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that none can buy or sell who does not have the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. All right, so some questions that we have for this. The beast needs your worship, and it has, it has to destroy you if you will not worship it. What do we think about this, this contrast that we have between how the beast, it needs you to draw power, but God, who is powerful because he is, God takes his gifts, his breath of life, and brings to you, even resurrecting people. What do we think about that? 
Well, I think, you know, when we first uh, hear this passage, uh, I think many people often want to say the beast is a certain person or anything like that. But I, I think as I hear this, I, I very much can uh, imagine the beast being an ideology or um, something that, that a more or less a spirit that, that comes and it, um, you know, people must uh, not only bow down, but bow down to this way and this type of thinking that goes against God's thinking. And uh, with that being said, there is no toleration for those who will not follow this this way. And, it, you know, even if it's, uh, in fact, it will be con- contrary to what God has taught us. And my thoughts, I, I do think there will be a beast. But to Pastor Mike's point, this is a warning for how evil operates. Yes. And evil ideologies operate exactly like you've said. Pastor Minnick? Well, I think that's... The thing, though, in, in as we read Revelation, um, there's this weird tension where we kind of play around with imagery and, and analogies. And at the same time, these images are more real than maybe we often, in especially postmodern world, want to give them credit for. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think it, it is. It also is interesting um, also to point out why we're not dualists as Christians, or we shouldn't be at least, because it it is, it's not two equal powers that we're dealing with here. It's not the light versus the dark, although that is an imagery we're often given. It it isn't God versus God's equal, but simply, you know, it's not, you know, Black Panther versus Killmonger, which are basically the same thing, just on opposite sides, or Superman versus Zod, again, kind of equal powers, but just on opposite sides. It's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with something fundamentally different. That, that God can give life and God can also take life. Um, I mean, we hear that in the Psalms where in the sense of take life and all life exists and does not exist because of God. Yeah. And yet all the beast can do is take and try to... Now, we, we kind of see in the second passage where it says it gives life to this image. But again, this isn't true life. This isn't no. autonomous, free will life. This is manipulation. Yeah, it's another blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so another point that I want us to to bring out as we study this fascinating text is, you know, the method by which God brings joy to his kingdom is so fundamentally different than how the beast reigns. Mm -hmm. You know, the beast, it it realizes there is a God-shaped hole and it wants to take advantage of that. The beast, it brings about its own religion, its own belief system. And, you know, I've called this the scoliodoxy, sort of the scoliodox. Um, doctrines of the beast, in other words, a bent, crooked um, way of understanding truth. The beast has all of these things, Um, but it's so different than the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, you receive meaning, but in the beast kingdom, the beast draws meaning from you. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I find interesting in this story is the presence of those who were killed by the beast there next to the river. You know, so many times we often hear questions of, you know, what happens to people when they die? What is in that state between the final judgment? Are you just wake up there on the judgment? Are you in some sort of purgatory for a while? Are you in some sort of paradise for a while? What is it? I actually think this is one of the rare insights to Scripture that could give us any suggestion on that. And I just kind of want to open up the floor. What do you all think about those who were conquered by the beast standing there next to the to that sea mingled of glass and fire. What do we think about that? Well, I think this ties in, and this may be a little bit, I might be isogening a bit, but I think we can connect this then with Hebrews 12. Uh, Therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And what mm. you're saying is when we, when we participate in the kingdom of God, so much so even death is retranslated under this kingdom where death really isn't the end. And it's, and so yeah, I, I don't know for sure what happens after we die. Like you're saying, what do we do in that? What do the dead, those who have fallen asleep, as uh, Paul will write in, in, Thess- in his letter to the Thessalonians, um, what do we do, Thessalonians, um, but what what do we do in that meantime before the ultimate kingdom come or the ultimate end comes? I don't know for sure. But for some reason, something happens where those who are living and those who have died still share fellowship together in the church. Mm. And in I don't know how, (laughs) Uh, but there is purpose that is so intertwined in the life of a Christian that even death cannot stop that purpose. Uh, That that glory to God, that mission, that worship, that discipleship continues even in death. And it's just fascinating. Um, And and that 
even when we're all by ourselves, it, even, you know, Christians who have experienced such persecution where they're, they're, they're in exile or they're jailed by themselves or in solitary confinement, even they still are a part of the church universal yeah. because there's still fellowship with the saints. Yeah. And to that point, these who are there, they're not disconnected from the time right. of what's going on in in God's terrestrial domain that we live on now. They still have some connection to that. And that, that is a fascinating point you bring up. Pastor Mike, I'll let you respond to this. I think, you know, one of the things that John, uh, as he writes, uh, using this tremendous imagery, imagery it's, it's a tremendous contrast here between the the conquering the, the and everything that the that has uh, taken place in this life but then there's this this beautiful scene of peace with this uh, the harps playing and everything that that says you know the beasts conquering is temporary mm. that yeah. there is a peace for those who stand firm in Christ Jesus yeah. and and uh, to me I think that is uh, one of the most beautiful uh, pieces of literature in our in our Bible is uh, how John uh, with his finite words describes the beauty that God reveals yeah and about Christ Jesus there is a huge comparison in Revelation between the abject ugliness of the beast and its worship and the indescribable beauties of heaven Right. Um, and it's it's wonderful geographies. All right. So as we wrap this up, we're going to come back and do something that'll be fun, though. I will say one of our live viewers, Miss um, Angie Darnall, just wish you, Pastor Mike, a happy birthday and hoping that oh, it was well. Um, thank you so much. I, I am truly blessed. Well, we'll be back. We're going to talk about some marks of the beast in a more <laughs> comical way. So we have thus concluded our more serious conversation, <laughs> though there'll be an element of seriousness in the next. So thank you for joining us. Stick around. We're going to do something a little bit more fun as we get back. So be with us. Oh, I was wondering, did that conversation kind of go? Okay. All right, as we come back, it's time for a little bit of buy, sell, or hold with a list. And as always, if we buy something when it comes to a list, that means we we generally agree not only with the proposition, but also where it's placed. And if mm. we sell something, then we, we either just think it's garbage and needs to be disposed of, or we might think it's too high, too low, not in the right place. And if we hold, then we just don't know. But <laughs> um, you only get one hold per episode. Send us your thoughts, questions, or comments. We're going to do something with the Mark of the Beast. Um it's a conversation that's pretty prominent right now. Um, and so this is a satirical, comedic program for us to have some fun. So keep that in mind. <laughs> but we're going to talk about 10 instances that the Mark of the Beast has occurred in pop culture and history. And what, which of these do we think is one of the, we're going to say the, the highest quality. And you can interpret that however you want. <laughs> Are these quality interpretations of the beast and they do take us to some more serious conversations as we go along but are y'all ready yes mike ready ready all right number one we've got images to go with this so this is a historical one. Oh, excuse me number nine number, number 10? ten number ten <laughs> yes i can count to ten um number ten on our list is actually nero hmm. so you might think what does nero have to do with the mark of the beast well you see in greek and hebrew letters they permit possess a numerical equivalence so you might read in Revelation 13, 17, you know, the number of its name is thus a code for a word. I mean, people have been making codes out of Scripture for a long time. Well, the most likely original candidate for such a name is Nero Caesar, whose name yields 666 when translated from Greek into Hebrew. Now, formulas aside, I know there's probably going to be some coming after me, but some people, depending on the spelling of Nero, might get 616, but you can put together a formula to get Nero out of 666. So what do we think about that? Buy, sell, or hold? Is that number 10 on pop culture uses of 666 Mark of the Beast? You, you know, I think, though, um, as we look in kind of the historical context of the book of Revelation, that make, it, it makes 100% sense. This is the kind of the, the eminent evil that the people uh, who are receiving uh, John's letter are, are dealing with. Yeah, it's on their mind. Yeah, and, and so I really agree. I would think that this this would be slightly higher on the list. Now, maybe because we're now 2,000 years removed from Nero uh, <laughs> is maybe why it's not on it the is, list. It is. But um, so, you know, I think I'll buy. I'll buy this You'll one. You'll buy it? All right. You know, I'm going to... 
to sale. Um, and I'm not surprised it's on the list. I, I do remember that Dan Sprouse uh, took the the word cute purple dinosaur and he uh, figured out what the uh, Latin numerical equivalents were. And as he, he did that, he said, you know, this is 666, <laughs> yeah. that, that the cute purple dinosaur is the, is the beast. It is none other than Barney. Uh, so I think this allows for a lot of, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I feel like I'm just going to sell it. Um, which I will say, this whole list is going to be that form. This is like comedy to a satirical list. All yes. right. Um, though there's some seriousness, of course. All right. So number nine on this list are barcodes. And I don't know if y'all remember this, but this was actually pretty popular for a while. People were really ripped up. You had some... Christian movies that used barcodes as the mark of the beast. Mm. I remember, like, when I was a kid, first coming back in the church, I had a little DVD player and, like, was watching this. And, like, you saw some of those Christian horror movies, and they would have <laughs> barcodes, and it was, like, the scariest thing ever. Um, but what do you think about this? Barcodes. Number nine. I, I so they're pretty low. Yeah, I, I kind of want to sell this one, uh, maybe bump Nero up a little bit, although I, grew, I bought Nero earlier, um, because... All I can think of, there's a funny meme online where someone got a barcode tattoo, and they, I don't know, I guess they liked the design, but they really didn't know what they did, so they scanned themselves in one of those price checkers at Target, and they rang up for like $3 for a pack of Oreos. And <laughs> I think it's just so silly to me. I just can't take it seriously, so I'm going to sell it. <laughs> Mike? I'm going to buy, because I think, I, I remember when the barcodes came out, I remember all the controversy uh, I would almost place it higher on the list, but mm -hmm. nonetheless, I'm going to buy right there where it's at. Okay. Um, next up we have, uh, actually, this is from a movie. So this isn't so much that people would imagine this happening in their own life, but again, this list is pop cultural phenomenons. Um, this is the 666 birthmark that was on Damien in the movie The Omen. And really, when you go back and you look kind of in a America and American church culture, there's been a lot of kind of association with the number 666 and the Antichrist, even though you look at Revelation and <laughs> you look over in the epistles of John to find the Antichrist language. But regardless, um, so what do you think about that? 666, the Omen movies, kind of that whole mentality of, of some sort of literal use of 666 that just kind of appears on people. You, I would put this higher on the list. Okay. Because I think if somebody was born with a 666 birthmark, or something that even remotely looked like 666 or like their toast burnt in a pattern that kind of I think people would legitimately freak out. And so I, I think this should be high on the list because I think people would take that. There's a part of your rational brain that goes, oh, you know, just because someone has a, 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 a birthmark that looks like 666 doesn't mean they're evil. But like the lizard part of your brain goes, <gasps> you know, trouble. Um, so I, I would put this higher on the list. All right. <laughs> I, I agree with with Pastor Amanda, you know, you, you see all kinds of things. I saw a, a calf that had a number seven uh, on his forehead, and of course, you know, people were ecstatic. So I, I'm thinking, yeah, the birthmarks that resemble 666, even though, you know, it, it, you're talking about pop culture. I'm with Pastor Amanda. D did you sell or buy? I sold it because I think it should be higher on the list. I'll, I'll, I'll sell because I think it needs to be higher as well. Okay, interesting, interesting. <laughs> all right. Next on our list are microchips. So coming in at number, well, actually, my thing is out of order. Um, microchips are supposed to be number three, but we're going to let them be number seven. So okay. it's got out of order. Uh, all right, so microchips, what do we think about that? Uh, like in people or in objects? In people. In so people. microchips in people. Yes. I, again, I can highly believe people would, would, would believe that that is a mark of the beast. Um, you know, I, I think I saw recently online, so I'm not sure if this was satire or not. To be honest, it could have been satire. But that uh, apparently uh, Elon Musk has put a microchip in a pig. Uh, as a test subject then to lead to human trials. Um, and I'm not sure the point of the microchip. I'm sure it's some kind of communication or entertainment thing. Yeah. Um, but like people are freaking out over it. So I 100% believe it's on this list. Um, maybe it should be a little higher, but I'll buy it as seven. Mike? I, I agree, but I'm going to sell that I do believe it should be higher. Yeah. You know, um, we our, my dog is microchip. <laughs> he, he, he really is. And so... Yeah. Uh, you know, there's all the conversation and 
pop culture talk about you know the the vaccine having a a microchip in it i I just think it would be higher especially for the times that we're in well in my defense it was originally meant to be number three and (laughs) we're just going to skip number three for that purpose um and for the real number seven uh, which you were mentioning the pet microchips there are there is a little bit of people out there that think pet microchips are the mark of the beast so mm-hmm. let's throw that one out there um, it didn't make the list though unfortunately um, the real number seven the hand signal from that you see used in like rock concerts and stuff of that nature oh, like uh, it looks like yeah uh, Amanda's over there doing it right now um there's a certain way, though. I think yeah, and we were always yeah. taught, like, one way meant something and this way meant something different. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. remember. Is it, is it that or is it? Well, this is, no, this is a hang, um, hang loose or hang whatever that is. Oh, yeah. 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 But, no, I think, is this? But also, isn't this also I love you in sign language? I don't know, but evidently you can somehow read 666 into that. And I think it's the I horns. remember and, when and I was a teenager people making a big deal out of this and something with the texas longhorns yeah i think that's that's like yeah you know or something yeah yeah so i i don't know i'm gonna sell this one because i think it should be lower on the list i don't i think maybe it was a fad for like a a quick minute it was a fad for a quick but i don't think most people really take that seriously anymore so i'll sell it Okay. okay i'll sell i don't even think it belongs on the list okay okay all righty and next up uh cell phones just straight up cell phones, <laughs> um, smartphones, cell phones, however you want to interpret this, the mobile devices we carry around everywhere. You really can't function in the modern world without them. Mm. You can almost throw the internet into this category. Like, yes, you can live and eat and breathe, but to really interact with society, which again, the mark of the beast is going to be something which is necessary to really interact with society. Um, here we have cell phones coming in at number six. Yeah. I think if anyone, if any of these things on this list would actually actually be the uh, mark of the beast, again I say that somewhat satirically, um, this one's probably the closest because it is a gateway, like you're saying, into interacting with the world. Just like w- when John is writing to his congregation about it, uh, they could not participate in the economy in uh, the culture of the world if they did not have this mark. It prohibited them from being a part of their trade to, to have money to provide for their families. And almost phones, like you're saying, has become that. And um, it, it warps our minds. It, it, it connects sure, us with sure. more information, but at the same time doesn't. So I'm not saying, because I own a smartphone, so I'm not saying smartphones are actually the mark of the beast. But if anything on this list was actually to be the mark of the beast, this is probably the closest. So I'm going to sell it because I think it should be number one. Okay. I'm going to buy it right where it's at. I I believe it belongs on the list. And, you know, they are being tracked. Uh, We're we're tracked whether we like it or not. I can look something up on my cell phone on the internet and if i go to facebook i got 900 advertisements wanting me to to buy whatever i looked up yep. um, so there, there's something there that you know we kind of feel like big brother spying on us all the time but i'm gonna buy I, i'm gonna leave it right there you let somebody buy urinal cakes on your phone once <laughs> and that's all you get that's enough said interestingly on that, i had enough intelligence to use your phone to do that <laughs> like, anyways praise god anyways all right and we got to go through these others quickly okay um the next one we have is uh, credit cards coming in number five. Yeah, I'll buy that. I, I'm gonna, I would like to see that one higher, too, simply because the whole cashless thing is, is, a, is a big topic right now. And, and uh, uh, you know, obviously. You're saying just cashless currency? Yeah, cashless currency. Right. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell because I believe it belongs higher. Okay. Um, next up on our list, we have vaccines. Um, now, this is an interesting take on it. Um, yeah, so vaccines, just buy or sell. I, I think it is appropriate if we're judging, not judging, yes, if we're evaluating our culture, this does seem to be one that people often evaluate or, or correlate with the mark of the beast, but it's ridiculous, um, and it, it aggravates me too. Um, so get your vaccine. Also, they're predicting a very bad flu season, so if you're a, a, an at-risk person, Please get your flu shot as soon as possible. They're predicting a very bad flu season. So uh, I'll put that little snippet in real quick. And I'm, uh, But yeah, I guess I'll buy it. But I just hate that it's on this list. I hate that people think Which, this way. Con- just giving a little bit of contrast. One of the things we also have to worry, though, is with the good that comes from vaccines, um, the rush for vaccines can also be a little bit disturbing, too, if they're yeah, not done well. Yeah. It, it's it, just it, dumb to throw something out there. Yes. But. And we and we have to understand vaccines 
especially like flu vaccines, do not protect you from all the flu strains. Yeah. They are the best educational guess. So like salvation is not found in vaccines. However, they are good. <laughs> it's so, nice not to have polio. So, so along with good health practices and the advice of your doctor and medical professionals, vaccines are good. Yeah. All right, Mike. I'm, I'm going to sell. Um, I know I kind of put the microchip thing in there that kind of felt like to me it bled over from aliens with the microchips <laughs> in and all of these things that, that hey, people... Paul tells us it's either all crazy or it's all true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And but nonetheless, I, I you know, for vaccines, um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna sell. Yeah, um, and I don't mind sounding crazy anymore. Oh, by the way, um, all right. So next up, we have unified one world governments. It, this is actually strange for me to think that this is the mark of the beast, but evidently, and you even find within like some some different circles, different traditions where they do associate. Uh, one oh, world yes. orders with Mark of the Beast. It, 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 was, it is the harbinger uh, to to uh, yeah. to the to the Antichrist is, yeah. you know, and again whether it was NATO or the United Nations or um, uh, 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 what's it called in Europe? The EU. The EU. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're just like oh, um, I say if we're gonna be this crazy, let's just go crazier and just say all governments are the Mark of the Beast. Burn them to the ground. Next, to, you know. Hey. I just I, don't I didn't know. say it. <laughs> So I guess I'm buying this as number two. Mike? Yeah, uh, I think I'll buy as unified, you know, one world government. You hear a lot about that. I would, yeah, I'll still buy that. Um, and before we get to our number one, I do have a runner up <laughs> that that is just a diversion from our comedy. And a lot of people are going to be thinking, well, why haven't y'all talked about masks? Um, because a lot of people are asking the question, I've got text messages about, you know, is the mask the mark of the beast? And my answer to that is, no, I don't think the mask is the mark of the beast. Let me just be clear on that. However, I have told people it actually meets some of the criteria in there a lot more than we may want to give credit to because it is something which people could be deceived into going along with. They, in good intentions, could deceive people to go along with this. And also, it is sprung out of nowhere. It has morality attached to it. And as much as people want to say, oh, there's no morality attached to it, yeah, there is. And <laughs> you saying there's not is just proof to the fact that it's become like it's blasphemy to speak about it. Um, and it has been something which people have been told you can't participate in polite society without it. That being said, it doesn't really meet all the criteria. And also, I'm always skeptical, especially when it comes to Revelation, to to say our moment is that <laughs> end day because it can always get worse. Yes. The beast can always just – the devil might actually show up in a red unitard as much as we would think that would be too cliche. It might happen. So I'm just going to hold my cards back and say I'm, I'm waiting for the full thing there. But are you all ready for the number one on this? Yes. Um. So this is a bit of an interesting one. Okay. And I just have in my images over here a question mark. And this is the worry that people have that they are already marked by the beast. So they've accidentally taken it, whether they've been through a credit card, cell phone, but this belief that I've already been marked by the beast. And I have that as my number one in the slot, that fear that I've already done something, I've got it in my system, you know, maybe it was, you know, a scar from a vaccine, maybe it was, you know, me carrying around this little chip in my pocket, whatever it is, I have a Facebook, you know, but that fear that says I already have the mark of the beast in me and I am eternally corrupted. So, so that's what I've got as number one, the fear that you've already done something to get it. I, I don't know if, if we're evaluating according to pop culture, I'm not sure that one's really predominant in our society. Um, I don't know if people are self-aware enough even to beginning asking that question of if they may have accidentally. And also if we're kind of answering with a little bit more seriousness, um, I think, you know, you made a point of saying earlier, you don't accidentally get into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. I don't think you accidentally get into the kingdom of the beast either. Now, again, there's this in nature, there's the general brokenness of our world, but there comes a time where we li either live into the kingdom or we don't. And that, there, there is purpose and intention involved there uh, where I don't think God's going to be like, oh, you're in the kingdom of the beast because you bought a cell phone. Now, however, God is going to say you, you are responsible for your choices. Yeah. Um, and when you decide it maybe to get a phone that you know was uh, uh, built by child or slave labor or you knowingly uh, purchased an item, uh, that participated in a corrupt structure or government, 
and you did nothing to try to circumvent that or to find other options, yeah, we're responsible to that. But again, those are intentional choices versus yeah. just living and breathing. Like, I don't think, like, if you got a vaccine, um, you know, that, that all of a sudden that just means, oh, nope, that has ruined your chances of redemption. Yeah, and just to kind of add some color to this conversation, one of the things that, that I find to be so interesting about this is the way of life and the way of death are fundamentally different. They are, I mean, just diametrically opposed in the sense that one is naturally on the way of death. But when you actually get to the question of the mark of the beast, you know, this isn't just the run of the mill sin nature. This is the outright blasphemy mm -hmm. worshiping of evil, the conscious and motivated worship. This is identifying yourself as yeah. a participant in a different kingdom other than the kingdom of and, heaven. And while me just giving some different arguments out there, you, I think you could make a case that says, you know, you are deceived and therefore you do it. I, I think that might be an argument to make there. Um, but I tend to err more in your line of thinking personally in the fact that this is there's a motivation to worship and love the beast. But I do see how somebody could construct an argument that said you've been deceived into it. Um, and, and when I was doing research on this, this was actually a question that I seen quite frequently on the <laughs> Internet is why I put it. Number one is people asking the question, have I already accepted the mark? But yeah. I mean, no, well, and I think that's fascinating. And I definitely think, again, God is thankfully complex enough to evaluate us um, and to say, okay, maybe you did something and you didn't have all the information and maybe your intentions or even your motivations were good, but you kind of didn't quite follow through uh, yeah. very well. And, and, and again, I think God can evaluate that enough to know when that's different than like wholehearted evil. Yeah. Now, this is not an excuse to be ignorant and to do whatever we want and then just plead for God's mercy. Uh, again, God wants us to very intentionally and purposely move towards holiness. But in that journey, just because we've messed up or even been deceived by the culture of our world doesn't mean automatically we've lost out on ever yeah. being put right. And so I think that there's a little bit several different conversations happening in this one. But I think if the mark of the beast is an intentional thing, it is identifying with and participating in a different kingdom other than the kingdom of hev heaven, uh, you don't accidentally get that. And so that's and, what I would say with number one. Again, so there is some mystery it. in this, but I will say this. The scriptures tell us if your name is covered by the blood of the lamb, you're okay. So that being said, sort out <laughs> that and you'll you will navigate this well. And that doesn't mean you might navigate it pain free, but it does mean that you will, you will, your soul will not be corrupted for eternity. If you're you're already right with God, so mm. just be right with God on the front end. Yeah, um, Pastor Mike, your thoughts on this last one? Uh, I would buy because I think there is uh, people, especially in the circles that I am running in, they're really wanting to come to God, and uh, I think they feel in the middle of the chaos and uh, tragedies that we have experienced here in 2020. Um, a self-reflection and where they stand spiritually uh, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I think that question is is viable so right. for pop culture. Yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap <laughs> up. We've already gone over, so we'll end there. Thank you for spending time with us. Again, if you would like to help support a program, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the Logos. And may God be with you. May you find joy. And on that, God love you and have a blessed day. Thank you.